Well, thank you very much. And good morning, everybody. Um, I hope you're all really well on this beautiful morning. Um, as Andrew said, my name uh, is Esther, um, and I help to lead the work of International Justice Mission, IJM, uh, here in the UK. And um, just a quick show of hands, who has heard of IJM? I'm guessing... Brilliant, great, okay, I'm guessing most of you. Um, for those of you uh, who don't know about IJM, um, in a nutshell, IJM is the largest anti-slavery organisation in the world. So we work on the ground, in the trenches, to find and rescue children and families who are caught in cases of human trafficking and oppression around the world. And, uh, and last year, we rescued 4,616 people. Now, I want to start off by saying a huge thank you to you in this room, because lots of you made that possible. Lots of you have been journeying with IJM, have been praying, um, have been advocating. I want to say a massive, massive thank you. I also want to issue you a, a quick invitation. Um, it's incredible uh, to hear that you guys are supporting uh, in Kenya. I know you guys have a long uh, history and relationship with, with various projects in Kenya. And um, fun uh, activity next year. Uh, we're launching the first IJM Kenya trip uh, to visit IJM Kenya and then climb Kilimanjaro. Ooh. So... Um, some details will appear in a minute. If that floats your boat, if you're an adventurous type and you want to come journey with me up a mountain, um, then, then let me know. Uh, we'll be launching that next year. Happy days. Before we get stuck in uh, with today's uh, scripture, um, I wonder if we could start with a journey of our imagination. You might want to shut your eyes and I wonder... If you can picture a castle, picture a castle. This castle is a beautiful stone castle. It's got whitewashed walls. It is absolutely huge. It is beautifully preserved. Can you imagine it? It has high walls. It's got lookout towers at every corner. It's got cannons. It's got a big wooden gate that guards the entrance. Inside it has state rooms and banqueting rooms. There are stunning bedrooms with windows that open out and it looks out to sea. This castle sits on the edge of a cliff. You can see beautiful beaches. It has a clear view for miles out to the ocean. Can you picture it? This is one of the many castles that sits on the coast of Ghana in West Africa. And the truth is that along this stretch of coast, for a couple of hundred years, around, until around 1850, we, as the British, used to round up people to put them in this castle as slaves. They would be forced underground into specially built dungeons around 1,500 at a time. And they would be held in those dungeons under the castle for sometimes weeks, sometimes months. No fresh water, no sanitation. 
suffocating, the heat pressing in, meaning you could hardly breathe. And they would be held there until they were put on a ship over the ocean or else locked in a second room where they would just be left to starve. That castle still stands as a symbol of suffering, a monument of how low humanity can go. And in the middle of it, there stands a church. A church where people would gather to worship, to confess their sins and to pray. And each time they gathered to worship, they would literally have to step over a grate in the floor where people below were crying out. And if during the service they could hear the noise, they would sing a little louder to drown out the cries. This castle in Ghana is a powerful reminder to me that it is possible to spend a lot of time around Christians and in church and singing songs without walking with God. How do we know that? There's a wonderful verse that sums this up beautifully. I know it's a verse many of you will know. Listen to what God says to the people of God, to you and to me, through the prophet Micah. He says, he has shown you what is good. He has shown you what is good. Now that should immediately awaken us as followers of God, shouldn't it? This is how we can please God. What is it that he says is good? What is it that he puts as a priority? Is it attendance at church? Is it five songs sung back to back? Is it flag waving? Please not let it be flag waving. Is it camping in the rain during the summer? Is it memorizing the whole Bible? What is it that Micah says is good? He writes... He has shown you what is good, and that is to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now this is a verse I know is really familiar to you as a church, and I wonder if in a moment we can just take just a second to ask God to help us look at this with fresh eyes. Is that okay? Let's just do that quickly. Let's just pray that Jesus, will you open this calling afresh to us? Lord, will you bring this call to life for each one of us today? Amen. So to start off with, act justly. Now, I know that you guys are very much a church that gets justice. I want to commend you for that. Lots of you are involved with incredible local projects, incredible international projects. You support brilliant organisations and I know you are faithfully praying for the world. And my hope and prayer is that today you leave feeling encouraged and uplifted and affirmed in that journey you are already on. But I also know that a lot of you will feel pretty desperate 
when it comes to looking at the state of the world at the moment. You know, you only have to turn on the radio, open the newspaper. We get bombarded by stats about poverty and suffering every single day, don't we? You know, we hear about human trafficking in our town. We hear about slavery around the world. We hear about, even this week, that awful news of 39 people. Parents and friends and brothers and sisters smuggled across our continent. And I tend to think, what on earth can we do? You know, little old me. And I start to feel completely overwhelmed. And not only do I start to feel overwhelmed, but I start to think about all the actions that I cannot take. All the things I cannot change. I start to look at all of the challenges and all the obstacles that are standing in my way. And before I know it, I begin to think, like, I'm no Martin Luther King. Now, I'm no Wilberforce. And I begin to feel so powerless. And because I feel powerless, I do nothing. Become paralyzed into inaction. Does that sound familiar to anyone? I love what Mother Teresa said. She said, if you can't feed a hundred people, just feed one. Well, maybe we can do that. Maybe we can make space for one more person at the table. Maybe I can open the door to one more person. And that isn't always easy. You know, we've been trying to do this um, in, in the northeast. I live in a city called, called Durham. It's, um, it's both a university town, which I know you guys get here in Cheltenham, um, but it also has a really high level of deprivation. But we're trying in really small ways to, to open our door. Uh, a couple of years ago, our community uh, had a homeless chap come to stay for a weekend. Uh, he stayed for four and a half months. And... Um, He hatched a baby bird in our spare room, um, which is a whole different story. Um, He turned up to my wedding dressed in a tracksuit and then stood front and centre in all the wedding photographs. Uh, You know, I'm not saying that it's easy. I'm not saying it's neat and packaged. I'm not saying it always looks like a standing order. But I often think that sometimes, you know, unless we can sort the whole problem out, we sometimes go down that route of it's just not worth trying. You know, was that going to solve homelessness? Of course not. But if you can't feed 100 people, just feed one. You know, some of you are really actively already seeking justice. Keep on going. Some of you are going to feel nervous about this. That's okay. Try, have a go, fail, try again. Get some people around you to cheer you on that you trust. Try it together. There's a song which which sums up lots of this stuff written by Tim Hughes that I remember having on repeat when I was a teenager. It's called God of Justice. And he writes, keep us from just singing, but move us into action. I think that sums it up beautifully, doesn't it? The stats are completely overwhelming when you look at the world. I get that. But there are means and ways that we can begin to act to seek justice. Because he has shown us what is good, to act justly and to love mercy. Love mercy. 
You know, as I reflect uh, on the city that I live in, I know I can do mercy. But to love mercy, that's a little bit more difficult. And by mercy, I mean that love that is totally undeserved. I mean compassion without conditions. You know, I find I can do a project. I can go on a rota. I can visit a prison. And I can do acts of mercy. But here's the thing. When you do mercy, you are the hero. You are the one that is going out with all the solutions to save another person. And chances are you're going to end up at arm's length because people turn into projects, right? That's not what God is calling us to, to love mercy. It's not just about helping a statistic. It's not just about helping some nameless, faceless person. God is calling us to love mercy, to love people. I was asked a really challenging question recently. This person asked me, you say you love the poor. What are their names? Ooh, that got me. You say you love the poor. What are their names? You know, loving mercy is about loving those who are forgotten and downtrodden so they don't stay anonymous. You know, to love the people that we help so they become friends, they become family even, and we let ourselves be, begin to be loved by them in return. And not just about like reaching down to help some poor little person that needs me, but jumping down and saying, we are in this together. And that might look really different for each of us. It might look like knocking on the door and getting to know your literal neighbour. You know, I never thought that I would end up being mates with Jeff that lives down the road. He grows prize-winning vegetables. Um, I also think he does illegal dogfighting at the weekend. It's not okay. He is on a journey towards Jesus, and he'll get there. It might look like getting to know the guy that makes your coffee. Yeah. Yes, we will buy fair trade. Yes, you're going to bring your IJM keep cup with you, of course. But actually, knowing the name of the person that's doing your latte art or flat white, if that's your preference. It might look like wearing toms and ethical dungarees and becoming a flexitarian, yes. But it might also look like who you sit next to at church on a Sunday. I don't know what it looks like for you. But I do know that loving mercy doesn't happen by accident. David Roos, who's a pastor in Canada, he talks about loving mercy. He says this, he says, it is hard to love mercy. My first attempts at mercy ministry were quite pathetic. They were more self-serving than I care to admit. My motivations were an eased conscience, a sense of self-sacrifice and an awareness of how good I was. You can do mercy and remain unchanged. But to love mercy is a different thing altogether. This is all very well. Uh, but how does that work? How does loving mercy work with a global issue like slavery? I mean, we can't possibly get to know all of the 40 million people that are held in slavery. You know, slavery is so often hidden. We're talking about an international issue run by international criminal gangs. We can't all know everyone, right? But what we can do 
is start to get to know names and faces and stories to move this issue out of the abstract and into the concrete. To move it out from over there, but into our reality. Now, we can pray for those people. When you pray for people, something happens in terms of your connection with them. We can ask for the Holy Spirit to help let their stories affect our stories on a heart level. You take an issue like slavery, and and slavery has a unique way of dehumanising people. It turns people into products with prices. It turns names into numbers. And I'm convinced that loving mercy will be an antidote to that. When people who are tricked and trafficked and traded aren't just statistics, but they become family. I have shown you what is good to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So how do we live out this justice and mercy stuff? Little clue, it's probably not going to happen by trying harder to be a nicer person or a better Christian. Micah gives us a hint. It comes from walking humbly with God. I know uh, you touched upon this when you kicked off the series. Uh, But this is about a walk with God, not a run. There is a reason why we talk about a journey of faith. About relationship with Jesus being like a tiny seed that grows over time. And there are other parts of the Bible where where we're told to run. We're told to move really quickly. But in relation to justice and mercy, it's a walk. And this walk might take a long, long time. And in some ways, this is going to sound like a complete paradox. At IJM, our teams are on the front line engaging right now in over 20 countries around the world. They are taking on cases of violent oppression where abuse is out of control. My colleagues are in there, lawyers and social workers and investigators. It is urgent work. It needs to be done now. And our team are the type of team that will run directly into a burning building when everyone else is running out. They are the type that will dive headlong into dark pools of criminal chaos. Not everybody else comes up for air, but there are kids in there that are drowning and someone needs to go in and find them. Justice is urgent and it is needed and it is needed quickly. But I want to suggest that the key to acting justly and loving mercy is walking, is keeping on going, keeping on loving, keeping on putting one foot in front of the other, walking with God through the ups and the downs, the highs and the lows, day by day, case by case, child by child. Gary Haugen, who founded IJM, uh, borrows Eugene Peterson's phrase when he describes justice as a long walk of obedience in the same direction. Justice is love that keeps on going, step by step, with God. 
just as an aside, um, I want to make it really clear that I am not saying that it is because we act justly and love mercy that we can walk with God. That is not what I'm saying. It's not about somehow doing more things to please God. But what I'm saying is because we walk step by step with God, there are things that we do. Because we walk with God, we act justly and we seek, uh, we seek just, justice and we love mercy. That is out of an overflow of relationship, not to somehow win ourselves into God's good books. Does that make sense? Great. I'd love to briefly just show you how we're seeing God at work in this stuff around the world. Um, as we're working and walking with God for the long haul. And um, if you'd allow me, I'd love to just rewind 20 years or so, uh, back to the early 2000s uh, in Cambodia. And in fact, we're going to go on a trip to the capital city uh, called Phnom Penh. And um, when our team started working there, Phnom Penh in Cambodia was pretty much known as the global epicentre of child sex trafficking and particularly that of really young children. It was known as a place where if you were a foreigner, you could fly in and be anywhere within the city within under an hour, paying as little as you wanted to do whatever you wanted. And you could go to market tables just outside the city centre, and there would literally be children on tables and chained to posts, and you could choose which one you wanted. And it was estimated, and by nature this is an estimation, because counting's really, really hard. It was estimated by the police and the UN that around 15 to 30% of the entire sex industry across the country were children. We're talking 15 to 30% of thousands and thousands of people. And the police were completely overwhelmed. Partly because of the huge amounts of money that was involved and the depths of the level of corruption that ran so deep. Partly because so many children were from the sort of wrong ethnic group and there was a perception that people simply didn't care. They weren't viewed as real people, so it didn't matter. Partly because the system was so big, it was out of control. The system was too broken. They didn't have the resources. And the system didn't know how to deal with vulnerable, scared children. Fixing it was just too big of a job. It would take too long. And so what happened is the traffickers got away with it. They didn't even hide what they were doing. This is Mien. She was 15 when she was sold. So what happened? IJM began to do what was good. To act justly, to love mercy. And we started doing our undercover investigation work and building up evidence. Working to investigate where children were being held. What were their names? We started working with the police to identify who were the ones that were horrified Who were the ones that wanted to do the right thing? We began to sit with them, listen to them, hear their story. And we asked, how can we help you? How can we help you do really well? 
And they talked about needing help to gather evidence, to train prosecutors. They talked about needing help to get cases through the court. They talked about needing help to train people um, in how to handle really vulnerable children. And so we began resourcing them. One officer at a time, one training session at a time, one court session at a time. We began working with them to help them take system, cases through the system. Now, when we began, the cynic said you could never rescue a Khmer child from a brothel. No one would stick around long enough to see that happening. The system was too corrupt. The cynic said it was impossible. It is too broken. It cannot be done. You might as well give up. And to be honest, if listening to this is making you feel tired and exhausted already, if this seems like a lot of work and a long time, then here's what you need to know. That the tide began to turn. We began training more and more police officers. We began working with more and more magistrates. We began to rescue more and more children. After some years, we got our first ever conviction of a trafficker. And we began seeing the wheels of justice slowly begin to turn. And after years and years of work in Cambodia, in Phnom Penh, rescuing children, I started off by saying at the beginning of the 2000s, 15 to 30% of the sex industry were children, right? In the early 2000s. Today, that number is less than 0.1% percent children. Thank you. You know, the police that we have worked with have won awards around the world for their turnaround and for their leading work in this field. And in fact, it has been so successful in this space that we actually no longer work on this work in Cambodia. We're now working with the government to look at a completely different issue of, of slavery in the fishing industry in the Gulf of Thailand because the police are doing their job and the social services are doing their job. We've begun to move on um, and work on other things. And that is our aim, really to see such transformation and such turnaround, to stick around long enough that we do ourselves out of a job. You know, when we help the system protect the poor and the vulnerable, when we act justly, when we love mercy, it is possible to see miraculous transformation on nation-changing, system-shifting scales. But that comes from not giving up, from a long, humble walk with God. This whole series that you guys are working through at the moment will touch upon amazing, important, different ways that you can learn to walk with God. But I would love to suggest that there is one vital thing that we can do to prepare ourselves to persevere and walk humbly with God for the long haul. And that is to cultivate a life of prayer. You know, if we're going to have any hope of acting justly and loving mercy, then as much as we must pursue justice and mercy, I would love to suggest we must also pursue prayer. 
I'm learning about this since joining IJM. Um, at IJM, every single member of staff across the world is contracted to pray an hour a day. Um, I joke with my friends, I'm a professional prayer. And uh, this looks like when we get into the office at 9am, the first thing we do when we get to our desks is nothing. I know if you're an IJM donor, I'm sorry, but that's the truth. We do nothing but pray, but wait on God, but ask the Holy Spirit to inspire us, uh, to recognise God in us and us with God. And then we crack on with work. We do what we need to do. We do applications and meeting with people and we do all the busy activities of, a, of an organisation. Until 2pm, we down tools and this time we gather together and we pray again for another half hour. We pray for rescues. We pray for raids. We pray for divine wisdom, for favour with government, for resources, for the healing of our clients. You know, when there are so many good things that we can do, why do we do that? Well, firstly, we know that we cannot let our passion for justice outweigh our passion for Jesus. Secondly, we know that the work of justice is so beyond ourselves. To love, just, to love justice, we, we need the power and the presence of God to saturate everything we're doing, right? And the task of ending slavery, that would be ridiculous to do on our own. This is not so much a discipline as a desperation. Acting justly, seeking mercy, that is God's idea. So why would we not ask the God of all wisdom, all resource, all breakthrough to move? This morning, as we come into land, I wonder who God might be speaking to you about what situation of justice might you be able to persevere in whose name can you get to know what is the road that you feel God might be reminding you to just keep walking one foot in front of the other for some of you I know that this particular issue of slavery is one that you feel called to and some of you will be wondering what committing to walk humbly in that context might look like. And if that's you, can I suggest one really practical thing that you can do this morning? Um, and that is to sign up uh, to be a freedom partner with IJM. Those are the people that commit to pray month by month for the cases um, and the rescues that are going on around the world. And they're also the people that commit to give, to actually send physical rescue to where it's needed most. And um, you, lots of you will have got a magazine as you, as you came in that looks a bit like that. In the back, there is a page where you can sign up to do exactly that. You can sign up to pray. You can sign up to send rescue. And uh, if that is you, it is the bottom bit of that form there. And um, if I'm honest, we, um, we leave the amount blank. And um, just as an aside, um, it's never really about an amount. I mean, £5 a month, £50 a month, it doesn't really massively matter to me. Um, but what we pray for is consistency. It's people that will say, we are on this lo long walk with you. Because um, consistency means we can plan. We can say to that girl in the brothel, we're coming back. And we've got the resources to back it up. That's about long 
walk of obedience. And um, you can do that with the magazine. Um, there are also specific leaflets, giving leaflets at the back as well that you can use um, whichever uh, you want to. Um, for those of you that do sign up to be a Freedom Partner, we've actually got some limited edition IJM uh, Keep Cups with us, um, which will give you, just to remind you what you've committed to, so that every time you have your morning brew, you go out for a coffee, you're reminded to pray. Reminded that you're part of a family that are committed to acting justly and loving mercy and walking for the long haul. You know, if you're getting that Holy Spirit, a heartbeat faster thing, and that is you, please don't walk away um, without asking God, is this something that I can play a part in too? Last month, um, as IJM, we celebrated the conviction of a trafficker who had enslaved six people in a rice mill in India. My colleagues had been working on this case for 13 years. From rescue operation to finally seeing justice come, 13 years. And you know what? Sometimes the work of justice and mercy are going to be about a long, humble walk of obedience with God. One day to the next, one year to the next. Caring for the sick will take a long walk with God. Adopting children, that is a long-term walk with God. Fighting addiction, that is a long walk. Helping a friend who is struggling with poor mental health, that's a long walk. Feeding the hungry, that's going to take a long walk. Loving our planet, that's a long walk. Seeing slavery eradicated is a long walk with God. You know, that castle that I told you about right at the start, it struck me so much when I visited it because people walked over injustice to go to worship. You know, we can't change history. We can't change what happened to those 39 people this week. But we can learn from it. And as we walk, we want to ask the Holy Spirit to keep us awake and alert to his voice that we are not walking over anybody. But so we are acting justly and loving mercy. And the walk that we take is one of humility and one of prayer with our God. He has shown us what is good, hasn't he? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with him, our Father. Shall we pray? Let's just take a moment of quiet to reflect on what's been shared. Just take a moment.
Come, Holy Spirit. I wonder if you're able to, if you'll join me in, in standing. We're going to pray and have a chance to respond. And in a sense, this is a message for the whole church. But I'm also aware that there will be individuals that, that God is, is speaking to you about this stuff. You might want to close your eyes. You might want to put your hand on your heart. Let's just ask God what he might be whispering to each one of us. Come Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence in this place. Will you help us to be more aware of your presence? We thank you that you have shown us what is good. Will you speak to us now? Show us what our part might be in the story of justice and mercy.